Welcome to Life School Series 2, Bumps and Babies. As I record this today, I am currently 23 weeks and 4 days pregnant with my first baby, which I'm so excited to share I now know is a little girl. I'm still in the process of recording this series, and my plan was to start releasing episodes once I'd finished recording with all my wonderful guests. However, in light of the current global situation with coronavirus, recording for now is on hold. So I've decided to share with you the episodes I've recorded so far over the past couple of months. I know many of us are currently self-isolating at home with lots of time on our hands, so what better time to listen to your favourite podcasts or perhaps discover some new ones? As a first-time mum, pregnancy, birth and babies is a whole new world for me and I personally want to educate myself as much as I can before my little one arrives. From positive birth stories, information on hypnobirthing, water births, c-sections, baby massage and more, I hope throughout this series I can shed some light on just some of the areas you may be worried about or even just intrigued about. Thank you to all the incredible birth workers and women who have made this series possible so far and thank you so much for listening. My guest for this episode is Shireen Zarug, the founder of Belly Baby Mum, a licensed doula, pregnancy and parent support group here in Dubai. Shireen is a doula and hypnobirthing mentor in the region and during our conversation, she not only talks about her journey to becoming a birth worker, but she also candidly shares with us her three personal pregnancy and birth experiences. So without further ado, here's episode three with the lovely Shireen. Happy listening. Shireen, welcome to Life School. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for being with me today. And I'm really excited about our chat today because you've given me a little insight <laughs> into your birthing experience, your personal birthing experiences, but also your whole world of hypnobirthing, being a doula, breastfeeding. Um, so I'm really excited. But I want to start by talking about your personal pregnancy and birth experiences because I know you have three little ones mm -hmm. and you have three very different experiences so can you start by telling us about those sure we'll start with the first one okay great <laughs> <laughs> how long do you have <laughs> okay so um I think it was about 12 years ago uh, when I got pregnant with my first child um and you know at that time unfortunately it wasn't it wasn't a big deal to kind of, you know, go into childbirth education classes or have a doula or any, you know, that kind of support. I wasn't aware of, you know, if any of these things existed actually. So I went into it, you know, you know, I'm pregnant, you have your baby, normally, naturally, that's how my, my family, you know, had it. Uh, there was actually uh, no one that I knew that had cesareans or any kind of complicated births. So it was a pretty chilled out uh, pregnancy. Um, yeah, everything was great actually until I was, I would say about 38 and a half weeks where I remember I was at my mom's, so she was my neighbor, she lived in Dubai at the time and I'm sitting there and I felt a little trickle <laughs> and I was like, whoa, what's this? Like I had no expect, I had no idea what to expect actually at the time and my mom was like, I think that might be your water. I was like, oh, well, the only thing I knew about waters was that it just kind of flooded everything, right? Like mm. it came out as this big gush. This is what you see on the movie. Exactly, right? So that's what I expected. And so that's why I was a bit like surprised, concerned. 
and she was like, hey, you know, it's fine, you know, you know, are you feeling anything? And I was like, no, uh, you know, no, I'm not feeling any contractions. So she's like, okay, let's just chill for a few hours. So I was actually really happy she, she did say that. Um, but then I was getting very anxious and I thought, well, what's, something's wrong, you know, why am I not feeling anything? And uh, I remember like three, this was like three in the morning, you know, and I couldn't sleep, you know, obviously I was waking up every hour and the end, you know, I think it was three or four hours that passed and I thought, let's just go to hospital. Um, my mom was like, why don't you call the hospital and see what they say? So I remember calling them and telling them what had happened and they're like, well, yeah, just come in. Let's just see what's going on. So I end up going to hospital, my husband and I, it was early hours, about six or seven in the morning. And again, still no contractions. I wasn't feeling anything. So once I get into hospital, they check me and they're like, well, you're at one centimeter dilation. Um, and yeah, why don't you just try walking around the, the room or the hospital for about an hour and come back and let's see what happens. So I was like, great, okay. So we did that, walking around. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. And you know, once I came back to the room, again, not feeling anything, they decided to check me. I think it was about two hours later, and still I was one centimeter. So they're like, okay, so it looks like things aren't progressing. We might need to do something to help you progress. So we're gonna give you this medication, um, and it will help progress your labor, like help get the contraction started. So yeah, great, let's do that. So they hooked me up. Um, to the IV, uh, I had no idea what it was at the time. Uh, today, I understand that was Pitocin or Syntocinin, um, where it's called here. And obviously, that's a drug to you know get those contractions uh, going. Is and this being induced? This is being. Is that induced. what that is? That okay. is being induced exactly. Uh, so funny enough, at the time, I, you know, I haven't heard that word before. Nobody mentioned it. They just said it was medication to get things going. And you're like, okay, cool. Yeah, cool. Who wouldn't want that? Yeah. You know, <laughs> obviously something's wrong. So yeah, thank you for fixing it, right? Um, so that happened. Uh, I had no idea what to expect. All right. So nobody informed me that it was going to be painful, <laughs> excruciatingly painful. Um, and that's what happens uh, in a lot of cases with inductions, right? Especially when you have no idea what to expect. So suddenly from zero to 100, I was screaming in agony. I was like, this is not normal. I mean, I don't know, is this normal? What's going on? Why am I in so much pain? They checked me again, I think it was three hours later, I was at a two centimeter. And by then, I was like, okay, I can't take any more of this. Give me something. I need something. So they were very quick to come. I remember the nurse coming to me and said, oh, don't worry. This is normal. I'll definitely give you something for pain. Um, so I'll give you something and we'll completely take your pain away. I was like, oh my God, such a thing exists. Yes, please. Right. So the next thing I know, this gentleman comes in and, you know, is on my back. Well, you know, behind my back and they insert this needle and I still had no idea what was going on. And of course, then I was told, oh, we just, you know, we're giving you an epidural because and then, you know, because you're experiencing a lot of pain, it's going to just completely make you relaxed and hopefully let's see what happens. So I got the epidural and it was godsend, right? Mm -hmm. At that moment, I was like, Whew, OK, this is great. Wow. Yes, I can labor now. Um, so obviously, as you know, with an epidural, you can't really move. You can't really do much except be on the bed and on your back. And that's what happens. So I lay there for the next three hours and I got checked again to see if there was any progress. And I was still at a two centimeter. 
So then I remember the doctor coming in and saying, well, it's been already a few hours, probably around six or seven hours mm -hmm. by now. You're still at a two centimeter. Um, there seems to be no progress and it looks like we just have to do a cesarean now. So that was a thought that you know I had never thought about actually through, throughout the whole process. I just thought, this is how labor goes. You know, yes, sometimes you know, things don't pick up and they might need mm. to help you with that, which they did. Um, but then I just never had the idea that it would end up in a cesarean. All I knew, again, it was this major surgery. Uh, the little that I did know about it, that was, you know, the recovery wasn't great. Like it, it was, it would take time for women to recover. And obviously, who wants to have a major surgery, right? So um, I again, wasn't really informed of what it takes to have a C-section, what it meant, how it goes, benefits, any risks, any of that information. Um, but, you know, I consented to it. They did inform me that that's it. We're going to go now. We can't give you any more time. Um, baby as well, you know, it's, I was informed that baby wasn't doing too great on the monitors. So we really needed to go and get that baby out. Um, next thing I know, yes, I was wheeled in, into surgery and baby was born. Um, at a healthy 3.6, around 3.6 kg, baby girl. Were you scared when they said, okay, we're going to go into theatre now? Or was it just all happening so quickly that you didn't even have real time to process it? Honestly, yes, that's how it felt. It, I, I wouldn't consider it um, as... I think I was more in shock, <laughs> more than anything, that I didn't get to experience or think about how I felt at the time. Um, it was just, I honestly thought that, you know, this is what needs to be done. Um, and that's, I didn't know what to expect. Um, all I wanted was my husband by my side. And I thought, let me just leave this to them. They know what to do. And I'm sure I'll be fine and baby mm -hmm. will be fine. Um, so, you know, it wasn't, honestly, I mean, I blocked a lot of it out, <laughs> you know, but um, I don't, like I said, I don't recall it being uh, like a traumatic experience. But obviously, when I look back at it today, I knew that I could have done so many things so differently, right? Um, and so, yeah, so that was pretty much my first experience with my daughter. Yeah, 12 years ago. And how was the recovery? Not great. Yes, it did take me quite some time to, to recover. I think, you know, when I think about it now, I think a lot of it was actually emotional that I think mm. I, you know, and I didn't know it. I think it was a lot of it was in my subconscious. Um, I was subconsciously wondering if this was the right thing to do and if I really needed to go down that route. Uh, but in terms of physical recovery, it, it you know, it was, it was hard because uh, I remember the one thing I wanted to do was to breastfeed my daughter. And that was the most, I think, painful part for mm. me where, you know, I was staying with my moms at the time. So in my culture, you stay with your mom for the first 40 days. Uh, she was my neighbor anyway. So I moved in there and, you know, she would sleep in my room for most days and help me. Obviously, that the idea was to help, you know, when the baby wakes up. Um, and my baby, you know, to my luck, was not the easiest baby, right? Um, she was waking up, she was colicky, she was waking up every hour, every hour throughout the whole day. And at the same time, like I said, just trying to breastfeed her and trying to get up mm. out of bed was, you know, something that I would never forget, honestly. It was so painful just trying to get up, you know, straight up from bed and just kind of turn over, just lift the baby from its crib. To, to breastfeed, 
you know, I would be in tears every night trying to do well, that. I mean, it's major abdominal surgery. It's, yes. I mean, yeah, the painkillers weren't helping. Um, and like I said, I think a lot of it was emotional because I was just crying, you know, mm. uh, the whole time. Just, I think everything was slowly coming back to me. And then, you know, with the breastfeeding, of course, I'm, thankfully breastfeeding was going great. I know I had a great supply, everything was fine. But again, being a new mom and, you know, with her crying all the time and then with the surgery, I think when you put all, mm. put, all put it all together, it was just too much yeah, to handle it's at overwhelming. the time. Oh, yes. And then so baby number two, did you think, okay, I'm going to take what I've learned from baby number one and maybe things will be a little bit different. Maybe I'll have a different kind of birth. How was the second pregnancy and birth experience? Okay, so fast forward around three years after the birth of my first, um, I found out I'm pregnant and yay, I was you know excited, of course. Um, my husband always wanted a boy, but we had a girl. So this time he was like, it better be a boy. <laughs> so it was, um, and you know, we were super excited. Pregnancy was going great. I felt, you know, wonderful, but obviously that thought was in my mind thinking, okay, so now does this mean I'm going to go for another cesarean? Because honestly, that's all I heard, you mm. know, and that's what I knew again from the people around me, you know, once a cesarean, always a cesarean. Yeah. And I, that just didn't sit well with me. And I thought, you know what, let me try to research this a little bit. I'm very research oriented with anything. <laughs> so I thought I definitely want to see if this is actually possible, right, for me to have this vaginal birth that everybody talks about. That's so amazing. And so I started doing my research and I came across the term VBAC. Uh, so VBAC, for those who don't know, stands for vaginal birth after cesarean. And I thought, oh, wow, it's a thing. And I started going into all these forums. There were a lot of them were international forums of women sharing their stories, their successful VBAC stories. And I, you know, I just started reading up into it. And I realized that, wow, it was a possibility. People were doing it outside of the UAE. And I, I remember joining a lot of the local Facebook groups and trying to find out like if anybody in Dubai actually had a VBAC and I found a couple of people. So I'm like stalking everybody really <laughs> trying to find out like who's your How doctor? Did do How did you yeah. do it? Right. Um, and so with the information that I had, I knew it was a possibility. I knew now I had to find a doctor who would support me with this choice. And I asked around, I got a few recommendations, and I remember asking a very close family fam member of mine. Um, he was a doctor, and he was just like, oh, you definitely need to see this doctor who works in my hospital. She's amazing, she's great. You know, everybody comes to see her, you must go see her. So I was like, great, you know, getting a recommendation from a doctor um, who's a very you know, close family friend. Sure, great, you know, why not? So I go see this doctor, and I'm like, look, I'm trying to have a VBAC, you know, what do you think? And she's like, I mean, yeah, why not? You know, it is possible for some people, but let me tell you, you know, there is a big possibility that it might just not happen. So just don't get your hopes up too high. And I thought, you know, I'll take that. It's, it's good enough for me, mm. all right? So I, I decided to stick with this doctor and you know pregnancy went fine every I, you know i had no issues with the pregnancy itself thankfully 
And so fast forward, I'm now about 38 weeks pregnant. I go from my appointment to see my doctor. And so she gives me a, a, an examination, an internal examination. And she's like, oh, so you're not even dilated at all. So you're like really close. Your cervix is closed. Baby's way too high. I don't see any changes in your cervix. So I'm not sure if this is a good sign for you to even try for a VBAC. So I'm sitting there and I don't remember reading a lot about that, you know, but, you know, the chances of having a VBAC and I just thought, you know, great, it's either a C-section or you just try for a natural. Um, and so she's like, okay, um, so here's what I recommend. I recommend you come in next week and we do a cesarean. And I remember sitting there just crying my eyes out. Again, I did not expect that it was gonna lead up to a cesarean, another cesarean, because I thought, you know, she was supportive. Mm -hmm. I thought I had good chances. I knew it was possible for a lot of women. So why wasn't it happening for me? And again, I would not, I would never forget this moment where <clears throat> I'm sitting there, really crying, really desperate for this feedback, and she flips her computer screen towards me, and you know, opens up her calendar and says. What do you think of this date? So she points to this one particular date on her calendar. That date was four days after that day. So it was literally just four days after the day I'm sitting with her and tells me, this date looks good. It works for me. Why don't we schedule that cesarean that day? And I'm like, okay, <laughs> fine. Whatever works for you. All right. <laughs> so, so I, I remember like just crying that whole day to my husband thinking, what is wrong with me and my body? Like, why can't, why can't I achieve this feedback? You know? So, oh, I, I missed the most important part. So one of the main reasons she actually also recommended the C-section was she said that I had a humongous baby. So she said, not only are your chances very low for having a VBAC, but you're carrying a very, very big baby. It's probably around a four plus, like almost a 4.5 kg that in her words, she said, will rip you apart wow. if he comes out of you the normal way. And that's actually what really made me cry, right? Because I'm thinking, who wants that? Right. I don't know any woman who wants to be ripped apart by her baby. Right. Um, and yeah. And I think that's kind of what made me really kind of jump on that C-section mm -hmm. because obviously I wanted to, you know, uh, be healthy and have a healthy baby and not go through that excruciating pain the way she described it. Um, so I subscribed for that um, C-section. We scheduled it in. So when um, the date that she scheduled would have put me at not even at 39, it was a 38 and a half. So 38 and a half weeks pregnancy. Um, we wait those few days. So in those few days, I'm trying to do everything to get this baby to move down. Mm. I'm sitting on a birth ball or we call it a birth ball, but you know, the fitness ball, yoga ball. I'm sitting there just jumping on it all day, every day, trying to do what I can to get this movie to down and hopefully, you know, getting the baby down and hopefully trying to get myself into labor. 
And it didn't happen, nothing happened, nothing budged. So end up going for my scheduled cesarean. And uh, so this was a different experience, obviously, because this would be considered um, a scheduled cesarean versus mm. the first, which was an emergency cesarean. Um, so this time they prepped me up. Uh, obviously, I'm still, obviously, I need my husband with me just, you know, to calm things. But this time I realized, well, you know, I'm not that, you know, that scared of the experience because I've been through it. Yeah, before. you kind of know what to expect. And exactly. You're in control a little bit more of exactly. the situation. Right. So it was still an okay experience. You know, I go there. It wasn't, you know, as calm as I had imagined it to be because I remember during pregnancy, I, I did manage to watch some be very beautiful births. Um, and, you know, I remember seeing all these dimmed lighting and like really calm environments. And so that was a bit, you know, shocking, I would say, for me to, to just experience those bright lights in the room and just so many people in the room chit-chatting and there was just so much noise that I just really wished, you know, it was a different experience just for that. And um, so that got me a little bit anxious. But then, like I said, I mean, having somebody who's supportive of you by your side, so having my husband with me was really, really great. I remember him just, you know, cracking jokes and, you know, trying to get me, you know, in a good mood. Yeah, to relax. And relaxed, exactly. Um, so that definitely helped. Um, and it didn't take long, um, as they do. A, probably a total of half an hour or so. Baby was born um, at a healthy 3.6 kg. Um, happy and healthy. And yeah, and then everything was fine. The recovery was a little bit better this time around. Mm -hmm. And again, I think it's just my body knowing what to expect because obviously I've been through it before. Um, breastfeeding was going great, but then just a few weeks after that, it started to all come back to me. You know, the questions, did I really have to have that C-section? And obviously, just knowing that he weighed at a 3.6 kg. Yeah, so why did the doctor think he was <laughs> enormous when he was right. average healthy weight for a baby? So that's an excellent question. There's two parts to it. So first of all, I think the problem is a lot of doctors, you know, would see the size on ultrasound. And I think what some of them fail to convey um, to the, the you know, pregnant women is that, you know, they're not super accurate. Ultrasounds aren't always super accurate. And so sometimes, you know, the ultrasounds might show you a number which is not very accurate. I mean, they're plus minus at least 400 grams in a lot of cases. Um, so I was never informed of that, obviously. Uh, I honestly haven't even looked at the ultrasound. I had no idea. I, I did not read those numbers. I just took what she just told me. But what was interesting as well was, I remember a few days later, it was almost a week after the birth, I had to contact the hospital um, to get in touch with my doctor for something. And I was told by the nurse that, oh no, she, she, she traveled um, just you know, a few days ago. She's, she's on vacation now, so she, she's not here. And that's when I was like, oh wait, I started to put two and two together. And I thought, did she just schedule me in for that surgery because she needed to go on holiday? And that's when I was like, mm, no, <laughs> this, this couldn't have happened. Um, so I was really annoyed, honestly. I was just like, oh my gosh. So, and, and especially after knowing my baby wasn't actually that big, it kind of like, okay, kind of made sense that that could have been the reason uh, why she scheduled me in. And 
Yeah, I... And at no point did she ever say, look, we can wait, like, you can go full term to 40 weeks, and then we can wait and see where you're at then. Because 40 weeks is the full term, isn't yes. it? Yes, yes. I mean, um, and I think they let you go 10 days over that, don't they? Right. So a full term healthy pregnancy is anywhere from 37 to 42 so weeks. 42. Yeah. Yes. Um, and again, though, this is different from doctor to doctor of how much they would, you know, be supportive of you to go past your 40 weeks. But as we know, the 40 weeks is is your due date, right? But that was never said to you. That was never. I know. I, I knew of the 40 week thing, you know, like I knew that was the due date which I also kind of knew that you can go past it a little bit or, you know, give birth anytime before yeah. it. But it was never mentioned. It, it was never mentioned. I just, you know, I took in what she told me that this baby was huge. You're trying for a V-back, so we shouldn't even, you know, wait any longer, not even, you know, more than a few days past uh, past today, the day that I was sitting with her. And yeah, it was never, it was never an option. And I think also with a doctor, you just immediately trust them. Like, why would they not be giving you the correct information that's best for you and your baby? Exactly. Like, you just, you take it as gospel, don't you? And that's the thing, you know, and I think today, obviously, as a birth worker, I, I see this so often, and it really, really saddens me, where, unfortunately, you know, there are doctors that, you know, they, they're just not as supportive as they should be because, you know, a lot of them have their own agenda. And obviously, I wouldn't say this to, about all doctors. We have some brilliant doctors mm -hmm. in Dubai um, who are super, super supportive. Uh, but unfortunately, you know, we couldn't say that for all doctors. Um, I've had that experience, and it still happens today to a lot of women, whether it's a scheduled C-section or an induction, uh, just all for the wrong reasons, you know. And so before we go into your career in, uh, what do we call it? Not do not doula ship or doulaing as doula in the verb. Is that, is that what we call it? Doulaing. Doulaing. Yeah. Um, what happened with your third baby? So you've had these two experiences, and by the second, you're like, "Hang on a minute." <laughs> right. I think there's something is not quite right here. So what happened with your with your third baby? Okay. So again, fast forward. Um, I think it was around three years after the birth of my second. So there's three years in between. There's about three and a half to four years gap between each of them. So yes, with my third, when I found out I was pregnant, I wasn't the happiest person. <laughs> I mean, I was crying. I've cried a lot with my pregnancies. I, I, <laughs> I remember crying. Like I was in shock when I did that pregnancy test and that came up positive and I remember standing there in front of my husband saying oh no this is not happening I I don't want this baby like I was I honestly thought this is I'm not going to go through this experience again so you were quite happy with just two <clears throat> I was so you, you guys weren't trying for a third we weren't because we had a boy and we had a girl and you know that's great we had one of each and we just weren't thinking of a third um, funny story when I when I did go to my gynecologist at the time and I said I don't know how it happened she's like do you really want me to tell you how it happened so I mean honestly it was very unexpected just sort of happens you know that one percent <laughs> right um, and so I was not very happy because obviously I started thinking oh my gosh I'm gonna go through that you know that same experience 
it's most likely gonna end up in a cesarean and knowing how hard-headed I was, I knew that I was probably going to try to achieve a vaginal birth again. And I just did not wanna go through all of that again. But obviously we decided to you know, go with it, keep the baby and I started to, started to get a little bit excited, obviously just being pregnant and having a third child. Um, you know, that was exciting and then <clears throat> I started really researching now about VBAC 2s. So VBAC 2, that's a vaginal birth after two cesareans, right? And I thought, okay, you know, the whole VBAC thing was starting to happen in Dubai. Like I knew of a lot of women who were having VBACs, but at the time I hadn't, I'd never heard of a woman having a vaginal birth after two cesareans. And I thought, oh, this is gonna be fun, right? Trying to find a doctor in a hospital that was gonna support me with this. Um, at the time, I was working full-time as well, so um, I, I was working in, in, in marketing and advertising, that's my field, and I remember spending a lot of the hours on my day just kind of researching um, about feedback twos. And what I remember is I came across, um, in my Google search, I came across this uh, list of 10 things to do to you know, increase your chances to have a VBAC. <clears throat> And the top two things that was mentioned on that list was hire a doula and enroll yourself in a hypnobirthing program. And I remember saying, what? <laughs> what is a doula a and doula? what is hypnobirthing? <laughs> and what is this hippie thing called hypnobirthing? <laughs> what is going on? Is this how births happen these days? Like, I was so like, this is interesting, you know? Really, what is a doula? What is that? Is that a profession, you know? Um, so that took me by a surprise and I remember researching doulas in Dubai and to my surprise there were quite a few um, and I thought okay so obviously what said that you know that having a doula by your side increases your chances of having a VBAC because you have or any kind of a birth really uh, because you know that emotional support they can provide you with evidence-based information and all of that and I thought oh that's great I don't know if I can a hundred percent depend on my husband <laughs> with all of that um, and I would love to have somebody else on my side right and to really give me all that you know information and that support really that emotional support that I needed so much <clears throat> and so um, started interviewing doulas as people do um, I remember meeting with four or five doulas uh, decided on one I was very happy with her and uh, then hypnobirthing, when I mentioned that to my husband, well, he wasn't as surprised as I was, <laughs> funnily enough. So he's like, you know what, it's, it's, you know, it sounds great, it's you know, mind over matter, you know, I know it's a lot to do with the mind and positive thinking, so why not, let's, let's try it, you know, if that's gonna help you. And I remember finding um, like a free taster session for hypnobirthing and we enrolled to that. And we went there, I remember my husband again was more excited than I was. I was honestly like sitting cross-armed thinking like, how is this gonna help me? <laughs> um, but anyway, we kind of pushed ourselves, we registered for the full course, and I'm so glad I did, and I'll tell you why in a bit. Um, but I started to realize like all the things that I was learning was really about trying to focus on the positive, and I learned a lot of tools and techniques that I knew were going to help me during pregnancy, but also during labor and birth, hopefully. Um, <clears throat> so I was getting really excited about that. And 
pregnancy again was, was, was going great. Like I said, I was working full time. Uh, but because I was so consumed into the research that I was doing, it wasn't now just specific to VBAC. I, I found myself in all these Facebook like mom groups and pregnancy groups. And because I knew so much information at the time, I found myself like stalking people and like answering questions, you know, from all the things that I knew. And, you know, recommending things and suggesting things to people. And I thought, you know, this is great. Like, I love doing this, you know. And so, and I, and I realized that is kind of what a doula does. And I thought, wouldn't it be great to kind of do this full time? You know, like if I could do this, just support other women, I think, I mean, I, I just loved the whole idea and I, I loved what I was doing with the, with the little time that I had. And so then my research started to focus more on doula trainings. <laughs> so I was trying to find um, some sort of online training that I could take that could, you know, obviously help me become a certified doula. Uh, so I could do this officially, right? So at the time, yes, I found some, uh, you know, one of the, you know, established online doula training programs. I enrolled to that. And so I was spending my pregnancy basically training myself as a doula, but also having a doula and preparing myself for, for the journey and for the birth. Um, fast forward, um, it's now, I'm almost about 40 weeks Oh, before I forget to mention, I did manage to find a really, really supportive doctor who's not in Dubai anymore, unfortunately. Um, but I remember when I did ask her, you know, for her support for VBAC2, she did say, well, yes, of course. Uh, she was the, probably the fifth or sixth doctor I've seen because all the others told me once a cesarean, especially two cesareans, mm. always a cesarean. So she was like, yes, of course, you know, I, I've done it. I've had two vaginal births after two C-sections. Why not? Let's try Oh, it. wow. So she actually <laughs> had that experience herself. So that's exactly how I was sold because I'm like, oh, if you've been yeah, through that it. That would give me a lot of confidence. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like you have gone through this yourself. So yes, you're definitely my doctor. That's it. Case closed. Let's do this, right? Um, hospital was super supportive as well. It was great. Um, and I thought I was prepared and I was happy. And I've done all my research and I was doing everything from raspberry red, you know, red raspberry leaf tea to just walking around a lot <laughs> during that pregnancy. Um, just everything, right? Until I made it to about 41 weeks and I went to see my doctor. And um, she's like, okay, so you're 41 weeks now. What's the plan? Let, you know, let's talk, you know. Uh, so this doctor in particular do didn't support inductions with VBACs um, and, and that's totally understandable. I mean, there are doctors who would induce per VBACs and some who don't. Uh, with this particular doctor, she wasn't comfortable with the idea and I, and I respected that and I thought, well, but she was willing to let me go past my due date, which was great. And she said, you know, let's just, she was very relaxed about it. Let's just see what happens. So when I made it to 41 weeks, she didn't pressure me uh, you know, to have a C-section, but she did say, well, it's time to think about our options now. So knowing that I had already researched a lot to this point and also researched, you know, what do we do once we're past your, you know, our due date, I also started really re researching on um, 
well, my conception date, because I remember writing it somewhere. So I actually knew my conception date. And what we know today is that you're, you know, if you know your conception date, it's actually more accurate than your ultrasound yeah. dates. So I was super excited because when I calculated it, it kind of put me back two weeks. So you gained an extra so two I weeks. So I gained an extra two weeks. So I took that to my doctor and I said, well, by ultrasound, I'm 41 weeks. But really, by conception date, I'm 39 weeks. So she was like, how did you come up with that? And I actually had everything written down and I was showing her, like I was a super birth nerd at, the, at that point. And I was like, yes, I'm 39 weeks. And honestly, I don't feel ready. Like, I'm just not feeling it. I don't feel anything happening. I think I'm really 39 weeks and I still have some time. So she was, I mean, she was a little unsure, obviously. Um, it's really a matter of now trusting my word. It's my word against hers, right? Uh, but she's like, you know what? At the end of the day, it's your call. You know, if that's what you want to do and you want to wait it out, I support you. That's, that's your call, your decision. Um, and if you're willing to take full responsibility for that, you know, great. Um, and let's see what happens. You know, she said, all I can say is I know that women can birth at any point in pregnancy, even at 43 weeks. Yeah. So I was like, okay, I'll take that. Thank you. That's great. <clears throat> um, so now I'm 41 weeks slash 39 weeks, really. Um, and a week passes. And another week passes. <laughs> So now I'm back at 41 weeks, <laughs> but really, I mean, 43 weeks, right? If, yeah. If you're going to go by ultrasound. But it was at that point, um, at my 41 weeks, where my water broke. So I'm sitting there Friday morning. I started to trickle a little bit. Again, trickling, not a gush, but I started to feel contractions right away, right? And... So obviously I have to remember I had two kids running around. It was Friday morning, that's our family day. I'm running around preparing breakfast and kind of feeding everybody and doing my normal you know, Friday thing, uh, not paying too much attention to my contractions, kind of just stopping in between, trying to breathe. They weren't super intense at that point, but they did start to you know, intensify throughout the day. Um, it was, you know, it started off from seven in the morning and they just kept on increasing in intensity a little bit until you know, it was about three in the afternoon where they were starting to really get intense. So I remember kind of you know, going to my room, trying to just breathe through them, listening to my hypnobirthing tracks, kind of sitting on the birth ball, trying to catch a nap you know, in between those surges, which was super hard, but really helpful. Um, and yeah, just doing that at that point, I told my husband, well, I think it's time you take the kids to your mom. So my husband's parents are here. They're from Dubai. So I said, just take the kids to your parents. I, I, I can't deal with, with people, yeah. with kids right now. So that's what we did. And I continued to labor at home um, until it was about... 9 p.m. And did your doula come to your home? So, no. Um, I don't know why, but at that point I thought, oh, I don't want to disturb my doula and tell her that I'm just laboring because I didn't feel I needed her mm. so much at that time. Um, and something in me told me that this is going to take a while, mm. you know. So I thought, I'll just call her when I felt I really needed her. And most likely that would be when I will, I'll be heading to hospital. Um, I believe I sent her a message telling her things were starting to happen. 
Um, my poor doula, I mean, I kept her on call for an extra two weeks <laughs> because of the change of due date. I, exactly. I was like, oh, guess what? <laughs> I'm now 39 weeks again. Uh, so she was super lovely anyway. And she was like, great, you know, I'm here. Um, and so, yeah, my husband and I just kept on, you know, laboring at home. It was chilled. It was relaxed. Um, and by around 9 or almost close to 10 p.m., that's when I texted my doula and I was like, okay, it's getting really intense. I think we're going to head to hospital now. So she was like, great, I'll see you there. Um, and contractions by then were coming, I would say, by every four to five minutes. And like I said, like I, said I felt they were pretty intense and I really had to stop in between to breathe through mm -hmm. them. And yeah, we drive to hospital and uh, when I got there, so obviously when you get to hospital, you, you do get checked um, and you get put on the continuous monitoring just to see how baby's doing um, and to, to see your contractions as well on the monitors. So when I was checked, I was told I was three centimeters. I didn't know how to feel about that. I mean, I was excited that at least I wasn't at a one. Mm -hmm. um, but I also, with the intensity of the contractions, I thought I would be much further along. Um, the feeling of the contractions, honestly, I would feel, I would say that they weren't, they weren't painful, but it, they were just intense. Mm. Like I felt a lot of pressure down there. There was just a lot of pressure. Like it felt that baby wanted to come out and a lot of tightness. Um, and actually that's what I felt for the rest of my labor. Um, and so my doula joined us at around, I think, 10.30 or so. And yeah, we kept on laboring. I, we were at El Zahra Hospital, and at the time they had just started um, water births. So that's when they had the pool there, and I was lucky enough to be able to labor in the pool. Oh, I've seen it. It is so beautiful. Beautiful, right, in their hypnobirthing room. Oh, so I was like, this is perfect. I just fell in love, honestly, with the room and with the lights, you know, and, and, and the, the glowing pool um, and just being, I knew how water is really helpful for pain relief. And I thought, okay, great. Uh, I was planning on a very natural birth. So my preferences was to have no epidural. Obviously I couldn't have induction. Um, and I just wanted to focus on my breathing and all my hypnobirthing tools. And I thought, yeah, maybe I'll try gas and air if things, or the Antinox, if things get a little bit too intense. Um, so we labored from around 10 all the way to, you know, it was three in the morning, four in the morning. Then it was really morning. <laughs> it was like seven, eight in the morning. Um, basically, it, it took a while, um, a very long time. Um, my doula was amazing, you know, just, and my husband was super amazing as well. My doctor was with me throughout the labor, which is very rare. Yeah, I've heard that. <laughs> they usually just come in at the last minute, don't right, they? Right, right, exactly. And again, that's, a, you know, an expectation that I always feel like I need to tell moms. Um, you know, whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, who knows, but just not to expect that your doctor is going to be with you the whole time. And, you know, I, I, for me, I didn't expect that she was going to be there for the majority of my labor, but she, you know, she honestly just wanted to be there with me. She really was super supportive and really believed in me and really believed that I could do it. And so she wanted to be part of it and uh, encourage me through the process. So for me, I believe I had the best birth team 
you know, everybody provided what they could in terms of support, which was great and which is exactly what I needed. Um, and basically labor lasted for a good probably 15 to 16, maybe 17 hours, I can't recall, but it was very long. Um, and it, we basically, and I was checked um, at some point during labor again, and I was at a seven centimeter. So I was then super, super excited, and I thought, wow, this is actually happening, right? So I was being encouraged by everybody that, yes, this is gonna happen. There were no complications, everything was going great. Um, at some point, I was just starting to get really tired, and I think everybody in the room <laughs> was too. And you know, I was, I was managing, again, just keeping very active throughout the whole labor. I didn't rest for a minute, except for when I was in the pool, um, obviously. But um, at the end, I, when I, I was really kind of going through transition, I think everybody saw that, where I was really breathing through those contractions, and they were coming like one after the other no breaks in between so I definitely knew something was really happening and I felt a little bit of more pressure down there and so my doctor asked if she could check me and I was like great let's I, I feel I'm ready so she checks me and she tells me that I'm like 10 centimeters so by then obviously I am over the moon I'm excited I was like I made it to 10 centimeters we're gonna have this baby any minute now all right so after she checked me, I'm at 10 centimeters and I'm still laboring and I'm still feeling that pressure and I'm just breathing through those contractions. I'm like, you know, affirmations and listening to those tracks and really being encouraged uh, by my team. But I realize, you know, things aren't really progressing. Like I'm not feeling this baby is going to come out of me any, any minute now. Um, and an hour passed. And then two hours passed, and I think almost three hours passed, and my doctor was starting to get a little bit concerned. Uh, she's like, well, you know, why don't we do another check just to see what's going on with the baby's position? Maybe it's a position thing. Um, so let's see. So she gives me another internal check, and she's like, oh, okay. So yes, you're at 10 centimeters, but baby's just not in the best position baby's head is kind of tilted uh, to a different like to like his head is tilted sideways so today i know it as asynclitism um which means the baby's basically uh, baby's head circumference is at its widest uh, you know that's what's presenting and so it's really tricky to get that head um uh, past the birth canal right uh, at the same time, because I was at 10 centimeters for about three or almost four hours trying, you know, with that pressure, that can start to swell, swell you up, right? So that's what happened. So I had a cervical lip, so my insides are basically getting swelled up. So that, with the asynclitism, really kind of, you know, reduced the size of that birth canal and, you know, for the baby to basically be born. Um, so at that point, I knew that that is that could be a concern mm -hmm. for me to actually have this baby vaginally. And I remember just kind of going out of my subconscious brain and being very conscious all of a sudden, kind of bringing up all this information that I hadn't known. As I remember, you know, I was training as a doula, so I did already by then know a lot about birth and what to expect and what to do in these circumstances. 
But then I also remembered a very important tool that I had learned from hypnobirthing uh, about asking questions and what kind of questions to ask. And that really helped me kind of make that decision. So I remember between contractions, kind of having you know my doula, my husband, my, my doctor around me and saying, okay, so what do we do now? Like, what do you suggest? And my doctor said, well, I mean, we could try forceps, but she was, she, you know, she didn't seem like she was too keen on that. Um, she's like, I wouldn't recommend that so much, especially with what's going on with your baby's position. Could be a little bit risky. Um, so I said, look, I trust you, right? I looked her in the eye and I said, I trust you. What do you think we need to do? And she said, you know, if it was up to me, I would suggest a C-section. And she said that with a very heavy heart, like her eyes were almost tearing up, mm -hmm. I remember. And, and I looked around the room and you know, there was a consensus. Like I, I saw that that's what everybody realized was the reality of the situation. Um, but I remember kind of, again, you know, going through those surges and then speaking up between my contractions, just saying, okay, so uh, going back to forceps, you know, what are the risks? What are the risks? You know, uh, why not? Uh, what other options do I have other than forceps? Um, okay, then C-sections, you know, what are the risks with that? You know, um, what are the benefits? I mean, obviously I've had two C-sections before, but I never really received that, you know, information um, from the doctor during my labors for me to be able to make that. And you were in a very different place as well. Exactly. You had learned so much. Exactly. So I was really empowered to ask questions. I wasn't afraid. I honestly thought that, you know, back then you, you couldn't ask your doctor any question. Like, why would you, right? They know it all. Um, and it's almost felt like you had no say. And I always say my first two cesareans were done to me. And, you know, I just had no say in it all. With my third, at that point where I really felt in control, and I felt I was really part of that decision making. And I asked all the questions that I could ask. And I know I got all the answers that I needed for me to eventually be like, okay, I've decided, let's go for that C-section. And, you know, I say that, I said that with a, with a big smile on my face because, well, it's been a total of about 30 hours <laughs> in labor. Yeah, you've tried, you've really given it your best shot. I, I have, I mean, I have done everything in the book and probably more. Um, I really ticked off that checklist with the 10 things to do. Um, I've done it all, I've tried my best. I was fully informed of everything to do with you know that decision that I have taken along with my team, but I was definitely the main decision maker um, in, that, uh, in that experience. And I was wheeled in and the best part about it all was I actually also managed to have a very relaxed, gentler C-section. And that's something I, I preach about all the time. You know, even if it's gonna end up in a cesarean, you can still make it a, a, you know, a beautiful experience. So I did, you know, I did ask for, for, you know, for the doctor to tell me the process of like what she's doing step by step. That's just something that I wanted and I know not everybody would want that, but I just felt more comfortable knowing what was going on. 
I just wanted a quiet room. I didn't want people to talk. I wanted music in the room, dim lighting. I wanted to see my baby being born. So these are all things that you know today we can actually ask for, yeah. you know, uh, to just make it a better experience for us. And and so that's what I did. And yeah, baby was born again at about a 3.6. They're all around 3.6 to 3.7. So he was a 3.67 baby. Um, again, healthy and happy. Um, yeah, and it was it was a super great experience. Breastfeeding went well. Recovery was super easy. I would and say. do you think that was partly down to the kind of the mental aspect of the you had made that decision? So do you think that helped with your recovery because this was something that you had chosen? It wasn't done to you. I definitely think it was. I definitely do because I mean, if you look back at my previous experiences. It was in direct correlation to you know the experience versus how quickly I recovered. Mm. With with my third, honestly, it was, I mean, a few days after surgery, I was I was in the mall with all the children. I had actually supported a mom's birth as a doula three weeks after surgery. Amazing. <laughs> my first doula doula job with the same doctor. <laughs> so that was funny. She's like, you're not supposed to be here. <laughs> what are you doing here? Um, and it was a, a V-back experience as well. So that was quite emotional. Um, and the lady had, had her V-back. Amazing. Yes. But that just kind of really proved to me that, wow, like it's definitely possible. I've just seen it with my own eyes. How funny that that was your first I know, right? job as a doula. <laughs> Yes, it was great, but that's also what makes me so passionate about VBACs today and how I love supporting VBAC mm. women. Uh, just with m all my experiences and all the information and you know, I run the, the VBAC Moms of the UAE Facebook group as well and it's so amazing to hear of all women's experiences because they share their birth stories there. It's so empowering and, and beautiful to just see whether you know, they were successful in achieving those VBACs or not. Um, but it's 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 so important to you know support VBAC women a little bit more um, because again you know you can be faced with all these doctors who will not give you that. Well, I think you hit the nail on the head earlier. People, and this is what I always thought before I became pregnant: if you have a C-section with your first, mm -hmm. then you have to have a C-section right. with your second. Yes, I, I literally had no idea that it was even an option. I thought, well, that's just what happens. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad we have doctors that support VBACs today and VBACs twos, which is great. Um, but I just wish that every every doctor knew that, you know. Um, and it, it, there's just a lot of misinformation, unfortunately. Mm. And that's why I say, you know, it's great to trust your doctor. You know, first of all, try to really, you know, prenatally ask your doctor all these questions to find out how supportive they are of your choices. Uh, but also to check with you know evidence-based information. There are a lot of amazing resources out there that really will tell you your chances of having a VBAC and whether you're a VBAC candidate. You know, yeah. um, and so you know just putting all of this information together at the end of the day, it's your call, your decision of what you want to do um, and how you want to approach that your, your birth yeah. experience. But yeah. you should know that you have options. Options. And so you did your doula training during your third pregnancy and then after you had your third baby did you then leave your your marketing role and go straight into being being a doula full-time so i actually quit my job during my pregnancy 
Um, I think I was around five months pregnant at the time and just cold turkey, quit my job um, because I just, it was a calling, you know, like I just couldn't imagine myself doing anything else and it was literally calling me. And I just, yes, 100% um, focused on my doula training. I would drop off the kids to school in the morning and I sat from eight till pickup time, just studying, um, you know, everything to, to train, to certify as a doula. And um, I managed to complete my certification uh, just before birth. And after birth, by a few months, I really thought, wow, like hypnobirthing was such an amazing tool that really, really helped me with the decision making, but, being, but also how calm I was. My husband was pretty surprised at how calm and collected I was during labor. Um, and, you know, just so many things that I felt hypnobirthing had really, really helped me uh, during that experience. And I felt I would have a very different experience if I didn't do hypnobirthing. And I thought more women needed to know about this. Like, what can I do? And that's again when I thought, okay, I'm going to start teaching hypnobirthing. And I started again reading up and researching, trying to find um, a training. And uh, there's, you know, hypnobirthing training came down to Dubai. I've taken that, but it wasn't the same program that I taught, which is the Wise Hippo. And I really just wanted to teach that same program because that's what worked for me. Mm -hmm. And lucky enough, you know, I contacted them and I told them, look, I'm certified now as a hypnobirthing teacher, but I really want to certify with your program. What can I do? And so, you know, it was a, a matter of another month or two, like I had to do some extra work um, to certify with them, but I finally managed to. And so I was really, really happy by, you know, a few months after that, I, I, I certified with the YCPO to teach. And that's what I've been doing till today. And it's amazing to hear all these women's stories for how hypnobirthing really helped them with their experiences. So it's been really, really I, beautiful. I'm doing a course in April and I, I just can't wait because what I love about hypnobirthing is I think people initially think, what is this hippy dippy hypnobirthing? Yes. Is this just for natural births? Is this just for water births? But it sounds like to me that it's something that you can use in your everyday life. It's not just if you want to have a natural birth or water birth. It can help you. Yeah. I mean, look, look at your third experience. Exactly. You know, it can help you stay calm and be able to make informed decisions, be able to ask questions, even in the midst of being 10 centimeters dilated and yes. having to make such a huge decision. And I think a lot of women maybe are a little bit skeptical about it and think, oh no, I don't think that's for me, but I can't wait to find out more about it um, and just have those tools in my toolbox. Right. So and, and that I can have them there. Yes, and, and you said it, it's really about having you know, your toolbox that's full of all these tools. And I always tell women, it's not, you know, it's not going to be the same tools for every woman in that toolbox. You take from it what you feel you want to take from it and what would help you because every woman is different. You know, for me, it was the focus on the breathing and that decision making. For other women, it might be the visualization aspect of it, um, um, you know, or listening to the tracks, or it could be anything, because you learn so much um, mm. in the program, and it really is a matter of having just all these options and all these tools for you um, to use on the day. Um, but also, yes, I'm very passionate about kind of spreading the word that hypnobirthing, first of all, is not just for hippies, but also 
it's really it's very helpful for any kind of a birth you know as it was for me with my mm. cesarean um, but also for induced births for epidural births for whatever kind of a birth if you take from it what you feel can help you then that's good enough hypnobirthing sometimes you know there's this misconception that you're all like you know zen and it's really about you know just you know not feeling any pain and that's the first misconception I always yeah. heard about hypnobirthing is like you know I had women coming to me and saying I don't want to feel pain I want a painless birth I want to do hypnobirthing and I said well I'm sorry you're probably in the wrong place <laughs> I mean yes the pain is is very subjective and in my personal experience I honestly wouldn't you know qualify my experience or what I had experienced as painful it was very intense mm, you know I keep hearing this it's that it's more of an intensity mm -hmm. than a pain right I mean I think during which the, makes me feel a lot better to be honest that's the thing <laughs> I mean during the training you you start to learn about pain and and what pain is associated with mm. I mean today when I think of pain it's really like you know I had food poisoning a few months ago like that was painful <laughs> you know it was like a stabbing in my belly yeah or like having a cut or having or, a cut yeah exactly but it's it's a, such a different sensation that it really isn't painful but it is just a lot of pressure and I, I think it's so hard to describe unless you can mm. actually experience it um, but you will know it once you go through it but I, I definitely like this idea of of pressure and intensity over pain because yes. I think that's the main thing that all women are scared about is the pain exactly because I mean, we get told that it is the most painful thing you'll ever experience and um, you know from what we see on TV and in movies it's just pain and to hear that well it's not like it's not just this excruciating pain it's something that's that's very different actually makes me feel a little bit calmer and that's the thing honestly it's it, it is about you know mind over matter because a lot of the times we do hear this from friends family when they share their experiences you know the first time I told somebody when, when I told some friends and family that I was pregnant and they said well make sure the first thing you take is an epidural because it's gonna be super painful mm -hmm. uh, so that doesn't help because all these thoughts they get stored in our subconscious and you see the birth scenes right on TV like on all the, the movies the woman is screaming in agony so why wouldn't we think birth is painful mm -hmm. and so when we grow up and having all these thoughts that are just kind of you know stuck in our subconscious obviously that's what we're gonna expect and so really hypnobirthing is about replacing those thoughts with more positive yeah. thoughts about birth and kind of you know um, trying to tell your brain what birth can really feel like which is more intense more pressure but not really painful and obviously also thinking about how subjective pain is what might be yeah, painful for you exactly everyone's for pain me. threshold is so different yeah. and it was only when I got pregnant I started watching births and I would only watch um, sort of positive birth mm -hmm. videos but every video I've watched where a lady has done hypnobirthing regardless of what her birth ends up being like just seems so much calmer and she seems so much more in control versus the births I've watched where women haven't done hypnobirthing and they're just kind of winging it True. going with the flow so that's what made me think well I have nothing to lose here let me try because there seems to be a theme here and these are videos from all over the world all different women so mm -hmm. it can't be a coincidence that they've all, right. from, from what I'm seeing, having a, they're having a similar experience in terms of they're able to 
kind of control their breathing and it's and it's a calmer environment definitely i mean from all the aspects and all the tools that you learn you go into birth just you know with less fear and mm. fear is a huge aspect yeah. of why women actually even experience pain you know there's something called the ftp cycle the fear tension pain mm. cycle it's an actual thing so when we go into labor with a lot of fear that will translate into pain it's a lot yeah. of tension and then into a lot of pain and so with hypnobirthing you're really trying to remove that fear you know um, and replace it with with positivity so that you don't go into labor mm. with fear, which obviously then will remove the pain sensation. Yeah. But I mean, also just having said that, I do want women to understand that it doesn't mean that if you take a hypnobirthing course that you're just not gonna feel anything. That it's gonna be painful. That it's gonna, you know, it's very different from person to person. And what I always say is if you don't put in the work, it won't happen. I always use the analogy of marathon runners so if they don't do their training, mm. they're not going to win that You can't marathon. just turn up on the day and expect You just kind of, to, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And say, you know what? Oh, I'm going to win, you know, I'm, that marathon. It, it doesn't work that way. You know, mm. you have to put in the work. You have to put in the practice for it to work. It takes time to mm. change all these thoughts in your subconscious. Yeah. It takes time. So, you know, don't come to me and say like, oh, I've done hypnobirthing, but nothing worked. But you haven't touched your book or done any of your practice yeah. or listened to your MP3s. It just doesn't work that way. Yeah. And but for all the women that do their practice and do their work, and I was one of them, definitely, it it does definitely work. Yeah, I do think so. Um, so through everything you have learned and experienced so far, what are some pregnancy and birth myths that you want to debunk? Because since I've become pregnant, I've had quite a lot of people come at me with quite frankly just nonsense, things I can't eat, things I can't do, oh, yeah. and I'm like what is that even based on <laughs> like i'm pretty sure that isn't true right. let me do my own research and then lo and behold okay there's maybe an element of truth but what are some things that you'd like to debunk hmm. for us oh wow there's a whole lot of them um well i would like to start off with once a cesarean always a cesarean that's always a favorite yeah i think it's super important that women realize that that's just not true Obviously, it's, it's different cases. There are very few cases where you might need to have mm. another cesarean, but not when you're having a normal pregnancy and everything's fine and healthy. Uh, that definitely is a myth that I'd love to bust. So do find your supportive doctor mm. for that. Um, another one is also episiotomies. So this is something I don't know a lot about. Right. I, I, this word keeps coming up on mm -hmm. groups and forums I'm in, but I don't know a lot about it. Right. So again, this surprises me a lot um, that a lot of women believe, and I think it's also very cultural depending on where they're coming from, that every first time mom needs an episiotomy. So an episiotomy is a surgical cut that you would get during labor. Ah, uh, okay. Right, so as the baby is crowning, so your doctor would do a surgical cut to your perineum, so down there, the birth canal, to make space mm. for the baby's head to, to be born. Um, in some countries, there's like a 99% rate of that happening, right? So it's every, basically every mother, especially every first-time mother, needs that surgical cut. And it baffles me because there's no evidence that supports that. Um, it's very rare that a woman needs that, um, but 
for most women, there is no need for episiotomies. And it's actually evidence-based to let yourself tear naturally if you must mm. than to actually get a surgical cut. Because when you get a surgical cut, how do you know if you needed that much cutting in the first yeah. place, <laughs> right? Um, with a natural tear, you tear as much as you need to. As you need to. And the healing is so much better and quicker. Um, so that's just, again, one thing I find myself always kind of having to, to, to talk about with a lot of women because they come in with the idea that, okay, so then after the episiotomy that I get after birth, you know, how do I heal from that? And I say, wait a minute, <laughs> why are we even talking episiotomies? You know, there's a lot of evidence out there that, that really supports natural tears versus episiotomies. Yeah. It's <coughs> astonishing, isn't it? How, you know, I'm, I'm still very early into this experience, but how people just take things sort of at face value and don't think to question or do their own research. Mm. It's like childbirth, pregnancy. We are just fed this information, whether it's subconsciously. And, you, and a lot of people don't think to go, well, hang on a minute, let me see if there might be more to this or let me see what my options are. A lot of people, they just they just kind of go along with whatever's told to them. And it's, I guess that's part of your work is to spread that message that there is a lot of information out there. There's a lot of people that can support you. Like this is your baby, your pregnancy. You do not have to be forced into doing anything mm -hmm. you don't want to do. Um, you know, even as simple as being induced, a lot of women don't realize that they can say, no, I don't want to be induced. Mm -hmm. Oh, yes. It's, it's, it's wild, <coughs> the things I'm learning. I'm just like, I, I want women to have that knowledge. Like, knowledge is power. Right. But you don't know what you don't know. So if you're going into it kind of blind, it's not your fault. You don't know to, to ask these things, do you? Right, of course. And, and, and that's the thing. I mean... You know, it's really not a matter of, oh, you know, there's a misconception that doulas or childbirth educators are, you know, only pro-natural births and they're against cesareans or inductions. It's really not about that. It's just that we have all the information, we read up a lot, we have all the evidence-based information that does support some things other, you know, more than others. And like you said, our role is really to provide women with the evidence-based, the latest evidence-based information mm. that's out there from trusted resources for them to make decisions. So we, you know, would never make any decisions for women or push them towards something because that just might not be the, the best decision for them. But I do believe that women need to have options. Uh, because it's it's a it's their right. Yeah, to know their right. options. To know your options, and unfortunately, that's not a practice that that is very common here in Dubai. Also, not forgetting the fact that you know all our you know doctors here, even midwives, they come from all over the world. Mm. So there isn't a standardized kind of code of you know conduct or practice here in the UAE that everybody follows because. 
you know, some, some of these doctors are coming from places where, you know, there's a 99% <laughs> rate of episiotomy, right? And there are some that are coming from backgrounds that, have, you know, practice more evidence-based uh, practices. So when women go to see doctors, they hear conflicting information from all sorts of doctors and midwives. And so for us, it's really, you know, we, we don't claim to be medical professionals because we're not, but at least it, we are that centralized kind of uh, place where you can receive or that we're happy to give mm. you all that information that is followed by all the, you know, uh, international guidelines um, for you to make that decision. Um, so yeah, it, it is unfortunate and this is why I think education is super important, keeping yourself up to date and informed um, because you know now everybody is going to provide you that yeah and there's no excuse now really you know with the yeah. internet youtube i mean it's yeah. all out there you don't have to spend money on this oh yeah you know, if you can't exactly you can still have access to all of this information and one of the things i'm going to do is put in the show notes a link to your podcast that you did with right. um barbara barbara harper barbara harper yes. um on water burst because I listened to that recently and I was like, wow, I learned <laughs> She's so much. Right. Um, so I will link that in the show notes because that for me was like a real eye opener. I mean, and that's the thing. I mean, we do what we can to support women. Like you said, you know, a lot of it is free. You don't necessarily have to enroll yourself in a course or program. And that's how, you know, the podcast started, you know, because I just really was genuinely passionate about spreading awareness about mm -hmm. a lot of these topics that like we discussed today uh it's free you know just literally you just have to put that effort into listening to you know podcasts that are coming out of the uae you know what i mean or reading books you know yeah. and online. it can be anything and i think as long as it's i don't want to come across in this series just because i'm planning to do a water mm -hmm. birth that i think that that is you know a natural birth or mm -hmm. a water birth is the best option what I feel is that you have to make the best option based on you and what's right. best for your baby and do that based on research mm -hmm. and the facts and evidence and information. Like that's what I want to encourage people to do and listen to all different types of podcasts on right. birth and yeah. experiences. And, and attend events. There are a lot of attend free events. events oh, there's know? so many amazing free events Every, I mean, here. There's, exactly. There are so many out there now. I mean, I really wish back in the days I've, yeah. you know, had, I've heard of these free events that you can actually go to and just listen to all si sorts of birth and parenting professionals and, you know, midwives, doctors, doulas, talk about all these topics. Mm. You know, it's really just a matter of getting yourself there. And again, this is why, you know, I you know, make sure to host a lot of these free events as well. It's really just come on along. Let's just talk, you know, it's it's free. Just come along. Yeah, and something might resonate with you and you might think, oh, actually, I want to try that. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's the kind of birth I want or maybe I want to look into that more. Exactly. Um, um, what are the, the three things that you would advise mums-to-be to invest in, whether that be a service or an item or an experience? What would they be? Hmm. So, of course, I'm going to be a little bit biased and say, <laughs> get a doula. That's my number one. Honestly, it's the best form of support, emotional, mm -hmm. physical, you know, during labor, my doula was, you know, on the ground with me, on the walls with me when I was trying to labor in all sorts of positions. 
doulas know a lot about birth positions as well as obviously the midwives. Hand in hand, you can have a great and amazing support team mm -hmm. if you have yourself a doula. I, and I love the word invest that you've used because I think sometimes as doulas, we do hear the fact that, oh, I can't afford a doula, right? And it's obviously understandable. You know, I, I, that was something that I had, you know, in my experience, that was a concern for me as well. But I always, again, and I love using analogies, but I always say, how much did you spend on your wedding, right? Way too much. <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's that one day, right? But it's a special day. You know, yeah, some people pay for you know wedding planners and like yeah, you want the best hotel and you're gonna you're paying thousands right just to plan out that perfect one yeah. day, and I say why not spend a little fraction of that amount on hiring a doula or investing in a childbirth education class for example do you know what I mean? I think it's so important and I think if you want it, you can have it. You'll find a way. You know, I've never heard anyone use that analogy for a wedding, and it's so true. Isn't it? It is. We don't overthink it. It's our wedding. No, you just you just do it. You, you know you need to money spend money. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But we don't think the same about birth. When, in fact, that could have, a, you know, a lot of after effect, you know, on, on everything, on even motherhood, on how you mother your children if your birth didn't go according to your preferences because you weren't informed. Yeah, or you felt like or you didn't you have the support. support. Exactly. Yeah. So. Um, what sort of items, and especially for mums here that are living in apartments and maybe some sort of um, space-saving items, anything that you would recommend? Um, I know I would not recommend getting <laughs> a little bassinet and then a big crib. It's just something that I, I speak a lot with women or I get asked a lot about because I think a lot of women want to buy a little bassinet and mm -hmm. then buy a bigger crib and then probably a bigger bed. And I just feel, you know, you either co-sleep, you know, just keep the baby with you on your bed if that's your choice. Or, you know, you have these nice cots that attach to your bed as well if you want them close to you. Or just invest in that one crib, you know what I mean? And, and those cribs like go up to like three or four years. They could be mm. staying in that same crib and some transform into a, a bed, like a toddler bed. Yeah. So <laughs> I would just say be wise in your spending. Um, so that's, that's, that's what I would say. Um, but also I would say um, don't go and rush to buy things that you don't know you might need. And again, I see this a lot. Yeah, so. that's a really good one, actually, because I think there's this there's this need to get everything, right? Especially that's first time nesting, mums. right? Yeah, As you're well. like, I need everything. The amount of the amount of mums that have said to me, "Do you want my Excel spreadsheet from when they had a baby?" And I'm like, "How many items are on this?" I mean, yes. I don't know if my budget's going to stretch to like more than like five top picks exactly. you know <laughs> I mean, the amount of yes the amount of items women realize that they don't really need after birth is crazy so yeah i just say you know what if you just have diapers for your baby that's good enough you know like you will it, there's nothing that's going to be urgent if there is anything that you feel you might need you can literally just go you know pop down to the shop and get it, or better yet, just call for home delivery. I think most people deliver nowadays. Yeah. I mean, I experience this a lot as well with women who, who really want to breastfeed, for example. They will go on to buy a can of formula as well, 
or a few cans of formula and keep them in their kitchen cabinets. And I say, what, what, well, why did you purchase them? I thought you wanted to breastfeed. Oh, j just in case, you know, you never know. And I say, well, if you're so adamant about breastfeeding, you know, Honestly, and if it doesn't work out for whatever reason, you could literally call the pharmacy and have them deliver it to you. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's so funny you say that because um, someone else said that to me recently. They said, if you, if you really want to breastfeed, don't have formula in your house. Right. And that's because it's so always, easy to give yeah. in. You can, the pharmacies are 24 hours here. You can get it if you need it. And, and exactly, it's really about that suggestion. And I talk a lot about that in, you know, in, even in hypnobirthing, right? So it's, it goes back to even your birth experience. I, I talk about epidurals. So there are women who completely refuse the idea of having epidurals and don't want it as part of their birth. So I say, you know, don't, you can put it in your birth preferences or your birth plan. Please do not ask me if I want an epidural. Because it's that suggestion. Imagine having your midwife or doctor coming to you every two seconds saying, oh, you seem very uncomfortable. Do you want that epidural? I think 99% of women will give in to that, right? Mm. Versus that if you've never heard anyone mention the word epidural, you probably wouldn't think about it. Oh, that's a good one. Do you know? And that's what I had in my birth persons. I said, don't mention it. If I want it, if I really wanted it, I'm sure I'll mention it, right? That's really made me think, actually, because I keep saying... Well, I'll let the doctor know that I might want one, so to have one on hand, mm -hmm. but I know I don't want one. So why am I even having that as an option? Yeah. If it gets to the point where it's so terrible, I it's can there. have one. You, they, will, they will get it so for you. So why <laughs> sort of like kind of tease myself mm -hmm. knowing that, that it's on hand, it's on right. hand? Yeah. Yeah, that's such and a good one. <laughs> you know, in my birth experience, I can tell you, I have never thought about the epidural throughout my 30 hour of labor. It never crossed it's my mind. It's not on the menu. And so. I remember after the birth, I remember telling my husband, well, wait, I didn't get the epidural, right? And he's like, I was like, wow, you know, I didn't even think about it. I did get gas in the air when I was at 10 centimeters and only because I was very curious to know what it felt yeah. like. Not that I really needed it, if I'm honest. But honestly, yes, epidural. Did it help, by the way, gas in air? It did, it did, I think it, for me. And again, yeah. it's very different from person to person. Some women just feel so out of control that they just don't enjoy it. Some feel a bit like uneasy, like, mm. or mm, nauseous. For me, it was great. Like, it just, it, it, it was great. It kind of came, you know, made me a little bit loopy, but I, I know I, I enjoyed it. I think it really helped me mm. with the pain because it doesn't completely take the pain away. Yeah. So gas and air will just kind of take the edge the of edge. things. The edge, yeah. And that's what I just needed at that point, and it did help. Mm. So yes, I would definitely recommend it. And it's all natural, and it's always exactly. available. Yeah, because I, I just have this thing in my head that I, I really don't want an epidural because I want to be able to get up straight away. Um, also, if I am going to try for a water birth, I, I can't have an epidural. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So... Yeah, you've really made me think there that when it comes to the time of writing my birth plan, that's, yeah, yeah, that cannot be offered to me. Mm -hmm. Take the temptation away. <laughs> <laughs> right. It really helps. It really helps. Because I will say, I mean, just go into birth with your preferences and mm -hmm. if you need it, just go for it. You know, ask. You can always ask for it. Yeah, they can always give it to yeah. you if, if you get to that point. Um, okay, Shireen, we're going to do a quick fire round. Okay. What's your one piece of advice for first time mummers? Hmm, again, so many. Um, but the one that really sticks to my mind is trust yourself. Trust your body. You know, 
we do amazing things with our body. I mean, we grow human beings in our bodies. Not everybody can do that, right? I like to call us super women. We have superpowers. We make milk. Have you ever thought of that? <laughs> you know? It's crazy. <laughs> like, I'm sat here talking to you now, and there's like a tiny human being in my tummy. Exactly. That's, that's just, when you really think about it, it's that's insane. just crazy. <laughs> it is. So and it's growing. And I'm, it not, is. I'm just sat here. I'm not doing anything. I'm not doing anything, you know? So trust your body. If your body can do that, you know, it can do anything. And yeah, just trust your instincts, you know, as a pregnant woman, during birth, as a mother, trust your instincts. They're, mm -hmm. they're huge. And, and, and then the other thing I would say is just educate yourself. Yeah. Education is key, honestly. It's not just a saying, but when implemented especially, I mean, enroll yourself in whatever course, classes, go to some free events, mm -hmm. workshops read some books, listen to podcasts, you know, just really educate yourself. You owe it to yourself to do that, you know, and in the, in the end, you might not get the birth that you want, but at least you'll come out of it feeling so empowered and knowing that you have done everything that you could to, you know, achieve the birth that you did. And you should be grateful for that. Absolutely. And there might be just one tiny little thing that in your birth sticks with you from everything and helps you make the right decision. It's, it's you so know? true, yes. So, I um, mean, when I look back at you know the day that I found out I was pregnant with my third and I was crying, today when I think of that, I know exactly why I got pregnant with him. Do you know what I mean? I, if it weren't for that pregnancy, I wouldn't be sitting here with you today and doing what I do today and doing what I love. It has really been my inspiration, so. Yeah. You know, everything happens for oh, a reason. That's so beautiful. Do you know, like everything really happens for a reason. Yeah. And it's true. When I think about it, it really tears me up because I'm yeah. like, wow, if I had just stopped at those, you know, the birth of those two, that's it. Case closed. I would have never looked back. Yeah. You wouldn't have discovered your true calling. And I'd be my nine-to-five job, <laughs> do you know? But amazing things happen at the most strangest and weirdest of circumstances, right? And yeah. So oh, everything's a that's blessing. That's so beautiful. I love that. Um, one thing you've learned about yourself since becoming a mum? Uh, one thing I've learned about myself uh, is that I can't be perfect. I can't be perfect mum. And I think as a, as a perfectionist, I like to think that I am. I don't like the idea, but I do like to perfect as many things as I can in my life. But as a mom, I realized, oh, you can't perfect motherhood. You, you, you just, I, I couldn't be 100% mom every day. I can be 50% mom today and 50% businesswoman. Yeah. And I could be 50% wife one day. And I could be 200% mother today. And I think my job allows me that freedom. And I'm lucky enough to, to be able to spend enough time with my kids when I can. But they understand that that's not all I am. You know, mm -hmm. and, and that balance is still hard and you can never get it right. Um, but, you know, that's my life. That's my life. And I'm doing it for, for a good cause. You know, I'm happy that when I'm not with my kids, I'm with a mom yeah. supporting her or with a group of moms or parents to be. So, yeah, you can't perfect everything. And it goes the same for new moms. I mean, I think a lot of new moms struggle with the idea that they have to be perfect. Yeah. They have to get it all right. And what is right? In whose eyes are we talking? Do you know? Yeah, like I mean, You're just setting yourself up to fail. Yeah. I mean, that is probably the hardest part of 
of motherhood, mm -hmm. just trusting your instincts and trusting that what you're doing is enough. You know, yes, you can ask for advice and, and recommendations, just don't overdo it. Trust your instincts, yeah. you know, they tend to be right a lot of the times during birth, yeah. during early motherhood. And even for me right now, I trust my instincts a lot. You know, as a mother, it's just, it's, it's definitely a key ingredient mm -hmm. of motherhood. In everything in life, mm -hmm. your gut is, is usually right, I've found. And when I've tried to go against it, it <laughs> never, usually, uh, never usually turns out that, that well. Right. Um, what's one thing you wish someone had warned you about before you became a mum? That I needed to be more prepared for what to expect. I wish someone told me that that's not how the system works, <laughs> the way I had it in my head. Um, that it was just gonna be this great supportive team and everybody's gonna wish and want the best for me and I was gonna have a beautiful, natural birth. I wish somebody told me, well, actually, this might happen. Uh, maybe you wanna see another doctor or maybe you want to research a little bit, you know? But yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, I am still thankful for my experiences mm. because like I said, it is what led me to be where I am today. And, you know, I don't regret the choices that I've made, um, but it would have helped. Yeah. It would have helped. And, and this is what I get so excited about today when first time parents, are taking my hypnobirthing classes and having me as their doula. And I'm, and I'm always thankful, like, oh my God, this is your first. I had to go through all of this with yeah. my third. But I can use all of this to then help you. Exactly, yeah. they, they, I think a lot of them don't realize how blessed they are to have all these options available to them today with their first pregnancies. And that's what I wish I had you know, with my first, these options that weren't really available or I just didn't know of them. And, and that's what I, I really wished I had known back then. Mm -hmm. And I'm so grateful that women have these options now that, you know, that in itself can empower them for, you know, better births or just more empowered births, even for their second and their thirds. Mm -hmm. and, and already having that probably very positive experience just with their first experience, so. Favorite thing about being a mom? Um, favorite thing about being with my three crazy kids? <laughs> That's a tough one. <laughs> favorite thing about being mom is knowing that I made those people. I made those human beings, you know, as crazy and wild as they may be. But when I really do think about it and I look at them and I, you know, you'll catch, like my husband catches me all the time, like looking at my daughter and yes, a lot of times she answers me back. <laughs> and it's not very easy to deal with an almost 12 year old. But when I look at her, especially, and I'm like, she's just almost my height. Like this whole human being with, you know, like she's almost entering puberty. Like it's crazy to think of that. Like I made this with all the crazy experiences I've had with them, you know, my birth experiences. I'm just so thankful to still be a mom. You know, and I think a lot of people don't even realize that's a blessing on its mm. own because not everybody can be. But I was given that, you know, that I was given that blessing and I've made those human beings and I love my daughter. It, you know, she, she knows exactly what I do. 
And one thing I'm grateful for <laughs> is that when she has any friend who has a mom who's pregnant, or like she had a couple of pregnant teachers, she will go up to them and say, my mom's a doula. She's, she teaches hypnobirthing. She's like your PR. She, she is. I, I, I don't pay her. Like, honestly, I don't. But she's I like a little that. marketeer. She is so excited. She loves what I, I do. I wonder who she gets that from. You know, like, <laughs> it's so nice to be. I love that. You know, I love that. Like, the other day, she's just like, oh, can I have your business cards? So I'm like, okay, no, that's pushing it now. But she's like, oh, really? Amazing. My teacher's pregnant. I want to give her your card. And I think that's just so beautiful that in however way she, she got to that level of trying to promote what I do, it's beautiful to see that I'm passing on a message, mm. you know, that, you know, who knows if she's going to be a doula or not. Well, one day you might be you know, helping I'll be her, her do her own birth. <laughs> do you know? Like she's just passing on the message and she, she sees the value in me kind of creeping out like at 3 a.m. in the morning. She understands be, what you're she doing. She understands what I do and I love that. And I think that's definitely something I love about at least being a mother to my children. Oh, that's so beautiful. Um, okay, final question, Shireen. What does motherhood mean to you in three words? Uh, sacrifice, I would say one, in a good way. I mean, we sacrifice a lot as mothers, like whether you're a working mom, uh, your social life, you know, um, your body sometimes, you know, it can be many different things, but you are sacrificing something. And that's okay. You know, I think a lot, I want a lot of women to just understand that it's a phase, but you'll always want to sacrifice your life as a mother. Like I'm ready to sacri sacrifice my life for my kids, but it's part of motherhood. It definitely is. And it's okay. Um, and then I would say it's empowering, empowerment for sure, during pregnancy, during birth, having a birth, a vaginal birth or a C-section birth or any kind of a birth. It's definitely just a whole level of empowerment being a mother. And thirdly, I would say, mm, well, for me personally, I would say it was very healing and especially with my third experience. I mean, I don't know where I'd be today if I had just had my first two experiences. I would have hoped that I would have healed from those experiences somehow. But for me personally, I found my third birth experience super healing for me because it just, you know, it answered a lot of questions for me. I, you know, didn't get the birth that I wanted, but it was, supported it was beautiful you know I know I've done everything I can and it I just needed that kind of closure mm. um, and it gave me that you know and I and I and I thank my little one for that you know and I think yeah birth can definitely be healing on, on so many levels so for me those would be my top three words Oh, amazing. Shireen, thank you so, so much. Aww, thank you for I'm going to put all your links um, in the show notes, including for your podcast as well. Because I'm really enjoying your <laughs> podcast. It's amazing. They've been on hold um, for a while. I know, but there's still an amazing catalogue of episodes exactly. for people to listen to. Yes. And I know that you're going to be doing some more. Yes, we've um, been launching again. But soon, that's what's so. great about podcasts. They don't go anywhere. Right. They don't date. There. Exactly. Um, it's all still super relevant, everything mm -hmm. that you're talking about in your podcast. So. Right. Um, for women that are planning 
or for even for women that haven't thought about what kind of birth they're having, mm-hmm. I would just really recommend listening to your your podcast. So oh, thank you so much. Thank you so thank much you for having for, me. Thank you, and thank you for giving me your time. I know you're super busy, so um, yeah, thank you so much. And I can't wait to see what you have in store. Um, you know, in the in the coming months and after the rest of twenty twenty. Oh yes, lots of things coming. So yeah, there's definitely a lot of changes and and, and things and courses and classes and events coming up so I'm really really excited for this year so yeah yeah and I can't wait to attend one of your workshops yes please do (laughs) thank (laughs) you so much thank you so much Peter take care thank you once again to the gorgeous Shireen for sharing her personal experiences and knowledge so beautifully you can find links to Shireen's social pages website and her amazing belly baby mum podcast in the show notes below If you'd like to find out who my guests will be on the next episode of Bumps and Babies, please do follow us on Instagram at LifeSchoolME, where you can keep up to date with all our news and find information on all our amazing guests. And finally, I would be so grateful if you could show some love and please rate, review and subscribe to LifeSchoolME, the podcast to help us reach and hopefully inspire more listeners. Thank you for listening to LifeSchool, conversations to inspire action.